In what is easily the most familiar psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23, uh, David, the shepherd king, describes God uh, as the perfect shepherd. And in verse 4, David says that because God is his shepherd, this perfect shepherd is his shepherd, because he constantly protects with his rod and staff, that even in the darkest valley, surrounded by the shadow of death itself, he can be free from fear. And earlier in the psalm, in verse 2, he writes about the provisions of the perfect shepherd, the nourishment of green pastures to feed on and lie down beside, and safe, still waters to drink from without getting swept away. We see a parallel picture of this unparalleled shepherd in John 10, when Jesus rightly refers to himself as the good shepherd, the supreme shepherd. He's really connecting himself to that same perfect divine shepherd that David wrote about in Psalm 23, the good shepherd, the ultimate one. And connected to that, last week we talked about the fact that elders, as we continue on in our biblical church leadership series, we said that elders are supposed to pattern their shepherding, which is what elders are. I mean, we're, we're overseers and shepherds of the church or of the flock. And so we are to pattern our shepherding after the good shepherd. As we shepherd the church, Christ's church, we should be modeling Christ's shepherding. And thankfully, He didn't just leave us on our own to come up with how we were going to do that. Thankfully, he provided the perfect resource for us to do just that. I just, I appreciate that so much personally that our perfect shepherd left us with a perfect resource with which we shepherd his sheep. God's word is that resource that I'm talking about. God's word. God's word must be the rod and the staff that elders use to guard and to guide and the source of nourishment they provide. We said last week that part of our role as shepherds of the church, just as a role of any literal shepherd would be, is to to guard the flock, to protect and guard them against attack in the form of the church that would look like guarding them from doctrinal issue, from division, from the attack of the enemy. We're to guard the sheep that have been entrusted to us. But we're also to to guide, to direct, to lead, to help grow the sheep and to provide the nourishment that they need. So God's Word must be that rod and staff like a shepherd uses, the rod to defend his sheep and, and use as a weapon to fend off any wolf or, or lion that would seek to attack the sheep. Think of uh, David as the shepherd. He, he had to defend his flock against bears and lions, and he said to King Saul when he stood up and he said, hey, I'll take this giant Goliathon. Nobody else is going to do it. I'll do it. And when the king said, who are you and what do you have? How do you have any experience to go up against somebody like Goliath? He said, well, I may not have all the experience that uh, all you warriors do, but God delivered me out of the lion's mouth and out of the the paw of the bear, and I know he's going to deliver me from this this giant, this uh, blasphemer of Israel, and he's going to actually deliver that giant into my hands. 
But when David was fending off the, the lions and the, the wolves from the sheep, no doubt he and other shepherds in that region would have used the rod. It's like a club. And they used that as a weapon uh, against all that came to, uh, to snatch the flock away from them. The staff was used to protect and, and guide the sheep as well. If the, the sheep wandered too close to a cliff, the, the hook of the staff would bring them back. Or if they got too close to the water's edge, they'd guide them back to where they needed to be. And God's Word must be that for every elder. The rod that we use to defend and fend off attack from the enemy the staff that we use to guide, and God's Word is the perfect source of nourishment that we can provide. And that's why we need to be so focused on God's Word throughout our shepherding and throughout our ministry and throughout every aspect of the local ministry here. You know, programs are great. Activities are great. Groups are great. Fellowships are great. Nothing wrong with any of that. But nothing should ever ever be allowed to take the place in priority over God's Word. It's the only perfect source of nourishment that we all need to grow, to be what God has called us to be. It's the only perfect source of defense against the devil and against all of his strategies. And it's the only perfect source of guiding uh, all that are part of the church in the image of Christ that we're all to be conformed to. So, if God's Word is to be that rod and that staff that we use to guard and to guide and that source of nourishment that, that we provide for you as elders, if, if that's to be the priority and, and it should be that important to us, it's a good thing then to ask why. Why is it so essential? Why is it so crucial? Why does that need to be the top of our priority list that marks the way we guide and lead and direct, that, that marks our eldership and that marks every aspect of our church. Why? Why should that be the case? Well, I want to draw your attention to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 to answer that question. Why is it so important? Why is God's Word that vital? Why should God's Word be the only rod and staff that we use as elders to guard and to guide? Why should it be the main source of nourishment that we provide. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 gives us the answers to those questions. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, and 17, the Apostle Paul writes, all Scripture, all Scripture, every part of it, every aspect, nothing left out. The easy parts, the difficult parts, the parts that comfort us, the parts that are uncomfortable, all of it, everything. All Scripture is inspired. That's literally God-breathed. It's the same idea as what took place at the very beginning of, of our story, human history, when God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being. It's the same concept. It's the God-breathing power that causes life to take place. So it's fitting and accurate that we refer to God's Word as the living Word of God because it's God-breathed. It's, it's literally uh, containing the, the very Word, the very will, the very intention, the very character of God is wrapped up in Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and therefore is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, 
for training in righteousness, so that the result of all those things, the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, the training in righteousness, it's all for this purpose, so that the man or woman, the person of God, may be complete, equipped, ready, given everything they need for every good work. That's the goal of the Word of God. Because it is a perfect source of nourishment, because it is the perfect rod for us to use as we shepherd the church as elders, the perfect tool to guide, because it it is all those things and because it is profitable for teaching in every context, because it is profitable for rebuking when necessary, for correcting and for training in righteousness. The result of all that is that people under that are complete, are equipped for every good work in their Christian life. And I want you to to notice that none of the rebuking or the correcting that uh, is necessary from time to time, none of that is meant to just be judgmental. None of it is meant to just be harsh. It's not meant to just make you feel bad and to remind you of, of how far away you are from what you need to be. That's not the intention at all. The intention of the rebuking and the correcting, though not pleasant, necessary, It's all to work together to equip every child of God that they would be complete and equipped and ready for every good work. That's the goal. And uh, we all understand that teaching is important and necessary, and and that's the easy part. Yeah, I want to be taught. That's why you're here. You want to be under the the teaching of the Word of God. You're, You're deciding that that's important for your life. So we will be drawn to that and we'll, we'll accept that readily. It's the rebuking and the correcting that we have a difficult time with. No, nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody likes to be corrected. You know, none of us say at any point in our life, oh, that's good. Yeah, just give me more correction. Please rebuke me some more. I need some more. Is that all you got? I'd really like to be rebuked more. No, I mean, none of us humanly naturally respond that way. But what we need to understand is just as teaching is important and necessary with the Word of God, so is rebuking, so is correcting, so is training in righteousness. That's all very necessary as well. And it all serves to bring about a complete work in our lives that we would be equipped for every good work. Last week, I stressed the fact that the elders of the church are supposed to guard the church against doctrinal error and division, both from outside the church and, unfortunately, even within the church, as Paul reminded the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 when he said, after I leave you, I know wolves are going to come in, some from even your own number. They're going to try to to scatter the flock. You stand firm against that. Guard your flock against it. Just as I warned and taught you, you do the same. Guard your church, elders. So I stress the fact that we are supposed to guard the church against all forms of doctrinal error and and division. And along with that, a good shepherd will also be faithful in guiding, nurturing, and mentoring, and providing for the sheep. And that's what every elder must do with the Word of God. Every single elder Next week, we're going to be looking at the qualifications of the elders and and deacons. 
You know, we're, we've talked now a couple weeks about what an elder must do. We're going to be talking about what an elder must be, what must mark the elder's life. And along this, this great big list of, of different qualifications and requirements, there is one that stands out for elders, and that's unique to elders, that's not given to deacons, that we'll, we'll discuss, and that's that the elder must be able to teach, must be able to handle the Word of God. And why, why I say that is because of this. We have a tendency in our, in our culture, in our understanding, to look at the pastor as the only one who really does the teaching of God's Word or the preaching. But really, that's what every elder is entrusted with. They're entrusted with the work, the task of, of teaching, of handling, and of instructing with the Word of God. And it's going to look different, and there's different priorities. Um, some elders will be given the, uh, the primary role of the, the teacher or the preacher. That's what I am. That doesn't mean, though, that the other elders are not qualified and are not given opportunity and are not expected to still handle the Word. So every elder, everyone who's called into that very high calling, uh, needs to be faithful in guiding and providing for the sheep along with guarding them, and that all comes from the Word of God. That's the source. And here's how I know that that's true. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. through 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. through In this, the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's instructing him, he's reminding him of things, and he charges Timothy about something very, very important. He, he reminds him and he charges him to keep one priority above all the rest, to make sure he keeps this as the main thing. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. And that's, here's what the main thing is. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, through 5, verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of His appearing in His kingdom, and here's the charge, here's the main thing, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, all, at all times. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when circumstances align to the point where it, it lends itself to that. No, be ready in season and out of season at all times. Correct. Rebuke. Which is what Paul had just, you know, we just looked at his, his other writing where he said all Scripture is profitable for that. All Scripture is profitable for the correcting, for the rebuking. So he's saying, Timothy, because God's Word, because Scripture is inspired, because it is profitable for correcting and for rebuking and for training in righteousness, here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to preach it. I want you to teach it. I want you to make it a priority. Preach the Word at all times. Be ready to correct with it. Be ready to use it to rebuke. And encourage. That's so important, that part right there. Encourage. Sometimes... We, we preachers, we elders can get a little lopsided in our focus and in our priorities. Sometimes we can be a little bit heavy, too heavy on the correcting part or the rebuking part and, and light or soft on the encouraging part. Or sometimes we can even be really, really heavy on the encouragement and never get into the correcting and the rebuking, which is also necessary. 
So what Paul is saying to Timothy is, as an elder, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to, to correct and rebuke and encourage all, all at the same level. That they all need to be there. That, that all needs to be part of what you do in equal measure. But certainly, we don't correct and we don't rebuke without also encouraging. You see how that goes together? It's all supposed to fit together. These aren't mutually exclusive things. These are to make up the preaching and teaching ministry of every elder. We correct, we rebuke, and encourage with great patience, he says there at the end of verse 2, with great patience and teaching. For the time will come. Here's why that's so important. Here's why that needs to be a priority for Timothy and and every elder. Verse 3, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They don't have an itch or an appetite to hear what they need to hear, Paul says. They have an itch to hear what they want to hear, and so if their teachers don't give them what they want to hear, they will reject those and they'll go looking for others. And they'll surround for themselves teachers and preachers that give them the type of message they want to hear. Which, by the way, would be just about all the time a guarantee to be absent of any correcting and rebuking, rather just nothing but encouraging and telling them how wonderful they are and they don't need to change a thing. They will not tolerate sound doctrine. They'll multiply teachers in accordance with their own desire, just hearing what they want to hear. Verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. This was true then, at this time in the first century. It's true now, and it's going to continue to be true until the Lord Jesus returns and brings everything into the culmination of the perfect plan of God. This is going to keep happening And we have example after example of this all throughout our society, all throughout our culture, and unfortunately all throughout the church, where what is popular, what is uh, encouraged, what is definitely used to rapidly grow a church is many times, it's not the faithful preaching of the Word of God, which includes Though Again, though uncomfortable, necessary, the correcting and the rebuking and the training, it's absent of that in many cases, and the, the focus is all about the, you know, the, the encouraging and, and the uplifting, which is important and has to be there, sure. But if you sacrifice the correcting and the rebuking, which the Word of God contains and the preacher of the Word of God must proclaim, if you Do without that, then you have a church full of inequipped and ill-equipped people. Because you're never going to have men and women that are equipped for every good work without the correcting, without the rebuking, and without the training. It's just not going to happen. 
So sadly, we are seeing the same thing that Paul instructed Timothy to be aware of and to be on guard about. But that isn't to dissuade us. That's not to keep us from doing what we are called to do. Verse 5, but as for you, so he says, this is what's going to happen. I I promise it will. You're going to see this happen more and more, Timothy. You're going to have people that turn aside from truth. You're going to have people that reject truth. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They're going to gather for themselves teachers that do say what they want to hear. That's going to happen, but here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to stay focused. I want you to stay determined. Verse 5, but as for you, you exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship, which will come. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Or in other words, carry out your calling, Timothy. Don't let what happens around you Stop you from doing what you're supposed to do and to be what you're supposed to be. You focus on your calling. You fulfill your ministry. And that wasn't specific or limited to Timothy. Paul gave an almost identical challenge to his other protege, Titus. And in Titus 1, verses 9-11, through 11, after Paul gives the qualifications to Titus that he also gives to Timothy, the qualifications of an elder, he, he instructs both of these young pastors, here's what you need to do when you appoint elders, which you're supposed to do. When you appoint elders in every church, make sure that these qualifications are what they have, that they match up against these qualifications. So he, he tells Timothy the qualifications of an elder. What is an elder supposed to be? in their character, in their life. And then he tells Titus the same thing. And so at the end of this list with Titus, he says this, verse 9, He, the the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word, that's the word of God, as taught, so that, or in order that, he may be able to give instruction... There's that guiding and providing part of the shepherd. The guiding and providing that every elder is to do as a good shepherd would do. And that goes beyond the specific task of of preaching. This involves every aspect of an elder's ministry. So it may very well be the preaching behind the pulpit, you know, in the corporate gathering, like I'm doing right now. But it also includes more of the, the small group aspect where you have a, a smaller group of people that are being instructed by the Word of God and by someone that is an elder in that situation and they're interacting together. Or it might be one-on-one with an elder that's doing counseling or mentoring or, or discipling, coming alongside one or two and discipling them. So this being able to give instruction in God's Word, that goes beyond the task or the specific duty of preaching. I just want you to understand that. It's not limited to preaching. It includes preaching, this instruction in the Word of God, but it goes beyond it. It's any aspect of the qualified elder bringing the church, the member, to the Word of God, instructing them and guiding them and directing them in it. So he says he must hold firm to that trustworthy word. He must be able to give instruction in it in sound doctrine and also to rebuke. There's that word again. Also to rebuke those who contradict it. What's the it? The Word of God. The instruction of the Word of God. So 
He's saying to Titus, like he said to Timothy, hold firm to the trustworthy word no matter what happens around you. It doesn't matter what people are trying to do. It doesn't matter how, how much they gather for themselves, teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. You stand firm. You hold firm to the, the instruction of the word of God in sound doctrine and also be ready to rebuke those who contradict it. Verse 10, for there are many There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. That's the Judaizers. We talked about that last week. That's the group that came down to Antioch and said, whoa, 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 it's all good that you've accepted Christ as Messiah, but you need to come under the law of Moses if you want to really be saved. And we talked about how Paul and Barnabas rebuked them, and and it went back to the Jerusalem council where the elders were there, and they decided on this important issue. The Judaizers kept creeping up. I mean, they were a plague on the early church the entire time throughout Paul's ministry and and others with him. They just kept coming up and tried to cause division and to lead people astray. Verse 11, here's what he says. It's a pretty stern thing he says here. They must be silenced. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore what they're trying to do. Don't just, you know, look the other way. Don't don't tell them, oh, it's okay, you know, you're, you're fine, uh, maybe you're a little off, but it's okay, we'll just, just come on and, and be part of us, and we'll all just be together, and you'll have your truth, and we'll have our truth over here, and it'll all work, we'll just coexist. That's not what he said at all. He says, be ready to rebuke those who contradict the sound doctrine and the instruction of the Word of God. They must be silenced. Don't let them speak. Don't let your people hear what they have to say. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This is continuing to be a problem in our age, in our day, where you have people coming alongside and coming into the church and contradicting the sound doctrine of the inspired Word of God, rejecting that kind of instruction. You have example after example of people that are just surrounding for them teachers that say what they want to hear. And you have people that are like the Judaizers saying, it's Jesus and, instead of Jesus only. And as Paul told Timothy and Titus here in this passage, We need to hear the same thing as elders because we're the ones that are primarily tasked with guarding and guiding and providing. We need to hear the same thing and determine and commit to silencing all of that. To silencing it. Because just like happened in the early church as Paul drew attention to when he says this to Titus, the same can be said of the false teachers, and the false doctrine that is so prevalent here in our day that it upsets whole families. In other words, it ruins entire generations. Let me tell you something, church. The way to ensure that the next generation after the current one and the one after them and the one after them remains faithful to God, remains faithful to the church, it's not to come up with more and more ways of finding the latest 
trend and having everything as edgy as possible and everything as comfortable as we can make it, that's not the way to ensure the next generation remains faithful. The way to ensure the next generation remains faithful is to silence all falsehood that they hear and to make sure they remain grounded in the Word of God. That's the way to raise up the next generation in the church. To protect and guard the doctrine that they hear. To protect what they are being taught. To root out the division and the deceit that the enemy wants to plant within the body. That's the role of the elder. It's what elders are to do. And unfortunately, our world, both in previous decades and in our current time, it contains so many similar examples to what Paul referred to with Timothy and to Titus. Really, not much has changed at all. Example after example of a departure from the truth. Example after example of a decreasing appetite and interest for the truth. Rather, no, just tell me what I want to hear. Just make it easy to digest. Just tell me how good I am. No, I don't want to hear this area needs to have improvement. And oh, this area in your life over here, you need to bring that under, under the Word of God and the Spirit of God and let Him work because this is not right. No, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that I have all this room to improve and, and I need to change this and that. No, I, I want to be reinforced. I want to hear how great I am. And I just want everything to be shiny and happy and easy and comfortable. Just as it was true in Paul's day and Timothy and Titus's day, it's true in ours. And it's, it's just continuing to creep in the church even more. And that means every elder, every elder in every age and every culture has to be diligent and faithful to do exactly what Paul charged Timothy and Titus with. Not only is it just as necessary as it was for them, I would argue that it's becoming increasingly necessary. And it will continue to the longer the Lord tarries. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. We don't have to look very hard or very far to see example after example of what I'm talking about here. The the total rejection and all-out assault on the always relevant, completely universal, God-breathed truth that He's preserved for us. I mean, the Word of God is constantly under assault from outside the church and, again, unfortunately, alarmingly, from within the professing church. And so it's required and should be expected of every elder that they will faithfully apply the Word of God in its entirety, objectively, as they guard, as they guide, and as they provide for the sheep entrusted to their care by the Good Shepherd Himself. This is what defines the entire office and purpose of the elder. This defines and drives everything that it means to be an elder in the local church. And therefore, church... It needs to be a priority for Bible-believing churches to be defined and driven by this biblical pattern of shepherding and leadership. This is how it's supposed to be. It's how it's supposed to function. It's what it's supposed to look like. I want to share a quote from another book. Uh, I've referred to you uh, a book the last couple of weeks, Why Elders? 
Uh, but I, there's another great book that I can recommend to you. Uh, it's called Elders in the Life of the Church. There it is up on the screen, that title. Highly recommend for you to get this and read it. Um, it's a, a part of the Nine Marks uh, ministry of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Mark Dever. And uh, I want to actually share with you just one excerpt uh, that he writes that's very fitting to what we're talking about here today about this important priority of eldership and what that should look like. And he says, uh, this is actually from Mark Dever, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, who led his church many years ago uh, through the transition to go from you know what is typical of, of many Baptist churches, which has been our way for many years, to have deacons, not elders, deacons and trustees and pastors. You know, so you have three, three separate uh, functioning offices within the leadership. Um, he transitioned them away from that to the biblical pattern that we've been talking about in this series, which is elders, a plurality of elders, which includes the pastor-teacher and the deacons. And he has this to say, about that whole transition and bringing them into the eldership model. Probably the single most helpful thing to my pastoral ministry, again, Mark Dever saying this, among my church has been the recognition of the other elders, most of whom do not receive a salary from the church. The service of the other elders, along with me, has had immense benefits. A plurality of elders should aid a church by rounding out the pastor's gifts, making up for some of his defects, supplementing his judgment, and creating support in the congregation for decisions, leaving leaders less exposed to unjust criticism. Such plurality of elders also makes leadership more rooted and permanent rather than you know, varying and, and fluid. It allows for more mature continuity of leadership. It encourages the church to take more responsibility for the spiritual growth of its own members and helps make the church less dependent on its employees or pastoral staff. Our own church in Washington has enjoyed these benefits and more all because of God's gift to us of elders. I I just think that's so true and that's a significant thing that is a very practical result of coming under the line of the biblical pattern of of eldership. And that's what God does. When He sets out mandates and guides for us and standards and statutes, what we will find if we are faithful to what He's revealed in His Word, we'll actually find that it has enormous practical benefits. That's what God does. That's what's true of His Word. When we are obedient to His Word we'll find not only are we honoring Him by our obedience, but we are better for it. And that's certainly going to be true in this concept and this conversation of church leadership and eldership. So, all that to say, we've talked now for two weeks specifically about what elders must do, what the duty of the elder must be. I want to leave you with this consideration what church members must do. So in light of of elders, in light of them doing what they're supposed to do, what is the church member's response to their elders? What is that supposed to look like? And what is the responsibility of the church member as it relates to the church elder? Well, I want to suggest to you three things that church members must do 
in response or in relation to their elders. First, honor the elders. Honor the elders. Second, submit to the elders. Submit to the elders. And then third, pray for the elders. Pray for the elders. So honor the elders, submit to the elders, and pray for the elders. And this is not just something I came up with. This isn't what I, I just want to happen, and it sounds good to me. No, this is the Word of God supplying this and giving instruction along those lines. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And you see even in this verse that different roles are present in the midst of the plurality of elders. Scripture repeatedly provides examples of a different priority of responsibilities and positions such as preaching and and the main teaching pastor. And they supply those different responsibilities and those different positions within the overall plurality of elders without sacrificing or damaging the equality. It's kind of a first among equal concept that you see. So without sacrificing or damaging equality among the leaders, there is still a difference in responsibility and position. But there it is, 1 Timothy 5.17, honor the elders. Second, Hebrews 13.17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. Remember, they're the overseers, they're the shepherds. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And all will we have to give an account. We will give an account to the Good Shepherd on on how we shepherded you. So the writer of Hebrews says, let them do this with joy. In other words, make it easy for them. Make it easy for your elders to be the overseers over you and the shepherds over you that they are supposed to be. Help them help you, is what he's saying. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's not going to help you if your elders are miserable and, and it's agonizing in their, their being elders over you. Saying it's to your advantage if you help them, if you are easy to shepherd. And then last but not least, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, pretty simply put, Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray for us. And oh, church, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. That is what we desire so much. And, and let me just say thank you, because I know so many of you regularly, daily, faithfully pray for us in leadership. I know you do. I've heard that you do, and I, we can feel it. We can tell. So thank you so much for all of you who already commit to that, to, to daily and habitually pray for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't stop. Don't stop. And if you haven't committed regularly and daily to do that, please do so. Please do what 1 Thessalonians 5.25 says and commit to praying for your leaders, please. We need it desperately. All right, so there you go. That, that's a lot to cover, I know. Um, I would encourage you maybe go back over if you took notes and, and read over your notes again. Um, these are important things, important things. Please don't, don't see this as just dry and unimportant. This is absolutely essential for the life and health of every truly biblical church.